Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'm Scott Weatherford. How are you guys? Moms, I just want to tell you we would not be here without you. Yeah, that, isn't that brilliant? That's a statement of the obvious, isn't it? I remember a time, in fact, today I'm going to be talking about a mother's prayer. I remember a time that when I was in the frivolity of my youth, I came home, and I, that's all I'm going to tell about that, okay, so don't get excited. I came home late one night, and I found my mother praying for me. She was in the middle of our living room on her knees praying for me. Now, to this day, I don't know if it was genuine or staged. But either way, I, I still hear her little Southern Belle voice saying, Lord Jesus, just help Scott be the man he's supposed to be. And you know what? It worked. Because that prayer of my mom really turned my life. And it, it got me thinking about what am I doing? I, I love this. This is what Tara says to me all the time. What are you doing? What should you be doing? She says that to me all the time. Because normally, I'm not doing what I think she should be doing. That's the translation of that. She's not here. She's coming at the next service with our son. He's going to be here. So I can say those things, and you're not to share those things. Okay, good. But there's power in a mama's prayer. What are you doing? What should you be doing? It's that good self-examination, that good looking at your own spirit and your own heart. So I want to say this, happy Mother's Day, but I also want to say happy uh, Women's Day. You know, because whether or not you're a mom, you're, you're a, a woman, and you are, as I talked about a few weeks ago, the isha, the one who's more aware, the one who's more sensitive, the one who receives. And I just thank God for all the women in my life. Uh, and I know, guys, you do as well. Guys, can you say amen? amen? That's good. You guys woke up for something. That's awesome. That's good. Now, some of you here with your kids, your kids have been forced to come with you. That's great. You said if you don't come to church, you don't eat. That's always motivated me, and uh, so uh, we're really glad you're here. We're going to have a good time this morning, but we're going to talk about, uh, I think, a subject that really kind of resonates with all of us, whether you're a mom or not. We're going to be talking about prayer and how prayer really aligns our lives. And in this crazy love, we're going to look at a crazy, desperate prayer, this crazy love series we're in. Now, let me remind you that we have resources, extra resources online. You could go to fbcwimberly.com, and there's a load of small group curriculum there, uh, eight to 10-minute videos that you could download, you could watch, you could have a discussion with your family, with some friends at a coffee shop. You can get it on your smartphone or, or iPad or any device you have. Uh, some of you, I, I have a smart TV. It's smarter than me because I can't figure out how to work it most of the time, but we can actually pull it up on our TV, which is really exciting. We live in a day where, where content is available, is available. And what we need to do is avail ourselves to the content. And we're going to keep loading you up with good content so you could be spiritually nurtured and cared for. Now, a Christian who's spiritually nurtured for, uh, cared for and nurtured who doesn't apply anything just becomes an obese Christian. And God doesn't want you to be fat and sassy. He wants you to be lean and effective, okay? Now, I'm not going to talk anymore about that. But I want you to hold on to that truth. We're to do something with God's word, not just be hearers only. I think James said that, didn't he? Did he say that in his book? Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. All of us have had seasons in our life where we've just been desperate, where we just needed God to come through. I loved what uh, the choir sang today. Uh, Dan kind of led us on a journey of, of desperation 
And not, uh, that sounds kind of bad, Dan. It wasn't really, you kind of got our hearts ready to hear about desperate prayer. And I appreciate the intentionality you did today with the choir special. I, I love our choir. I'm going to get to sing with them in a couple of weeks. Aren't you excited about that? And we're going to sing some Southern gospel. So y'all fry some chicken and get ready. We're going to have a good time. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But we've gone through these seasons of desperation. And how we respond to God really matters. Now, go ahead and take out your, your uh, take the weekend with you notes, your study guide, so you can track along and, and, uh, and write some things down. Because I think you're going to want to take some things away with you today. Uh, several years ago, um, Tara and I went through a really hard time. Not relationally. Uh, our, our marriage, you know, has been incredible. We've had, uh, we seldom fight. We only fight when we're driving. And that's usually over my behavior behind the wheel and my lack of directions. I, I think I'm, I'm Lewis and Clark, and she thinks she's Sacagawea. So we have you know, a constant uh, conversation about uh, direction. But, uh, but whenever we do fight, she says, uh, she says, come out from that, under that bed and fight like a man. I said, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. So I always have the last word. But, but we were going through a season of tremendous difficulty. In fact, we were watching everything we owned be stripped away, including our home. And it was just, I don't know if you've been there, but what happens in that situation, you either come together or you fall apart. And Tara and I, because we've loved each other deeply for so many years, and we believe that God is faithful, we decide to come together. One morning, I was reading my Bible and it's pretty amazing how God's word becomes bread and honey, milk and meat when you need something. You know what I'm saying? Uh, prayer becomes really important when Jesus is all you got. Mama Maggie, who runs a ministry in the dump of Cairo, says, when you have nothing, Jesus becomes everything. As I heard her say that, I thought, if I have everything, does Jesus become nothing? And I think that is the plight of the church in North America today. I'm going to chase a, a, small, a quick rabbit with you. Uh, I, I work with a, a larger organization that's trying to bring church revitalization. 95% of our churches in North America are declining or dying. 95%. Most of them are not even aware. Aware. But that morning, I was reading this, and I want to read it for you. And I don't want you to follow with me. I want you to listen with me. And I want you to listen perhaps what the Spirit is saying to you as I read this psalm. I'm not going to tell you what psalm it is. I'll tell you afterwards, but I'm going to read it right now. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with the longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful song. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? It is unfailing love gone forever. Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. 
But then I recall all you have done for me, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You're the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power along among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked in its very depths. The clouds poured down like rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind, and lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherd. And that morning when I read that, I sang, great is your faithfulness. Two days later, I got contacted from a church in Canada and Tara and I were, I was praying about going to Canada and Isaiah twenty two seventeen. it says, and you almighty man, I'm about to roll you up into a ball and cast you into a far country and there you will die. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but what we experienced in Canada completely blew our minds as we saw the Lord take a 70-year-old church and wake her up and use her to be an influence around the world. It was exciting. Somebody asked me one time, said, tell me about this church. I said, we've taken a 70-year-old girl with two artificial hips, and we've taught her how to dance again. <laughs> and she's still dancing for King Jesus. But we've all prayed that prayer. That was Psalm 77, by the way. Psalm 77. You might want to take a look at it, read it again. Let that word soak into your heart. I don't know what God said to you this morning as I read that, but he said to me, I am faithful I'm making a path for you you didn't even know was there. I'm opening a way for you that you even had no clue it existed. As for some of you, that's all you need today. You can go home, right? But don't get up and go yet. You'll be embarrassed if you get up. But today I want us to look at a woman, a mom, who is desperate for a baby. Now some of you know what that's like. Some of you ladies in this room, Mother's Day is very painful for you. And I want to say this to you. Our gatherings as a church should never be painful. They should never be exclusive. And they should never create bitterness because we honor one group over another, because we honor all people. We have made a statement here that all people matter to God. Therefore, they matter to us. Isn't that good news? That means no matter where you are, what you've done, or what you've become, you are welcomed in our gathering, and we want to see Jesus work deeply in your heart. Would you agree with that? Isn't that a good way to roll? That everyone's accepted, everyone matters? And so on this Mother's Day, let's don't let this be a stinging stigma, but let this be a nurturing place that we can celebrate with those who have and those who have not or those who are wanting to have. But this mom, her name was Hannah. She was in desperate prayer, and she prayed a crazy crazy, desperate prayer. And if we're really going to understand the crazy love of God, we have to understand that he's crazy for us even when we're crazy for him. So let's jump into the Old Testament and let's go on this adventure together and let's see what God has to say. 
Are you guys ready for this? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning through your word. And I pray that you will speak through me. That it will not be about me or my thoughts or my reflections or my knowledge. But, Father, your word and your truth, what I have to say is nonsense and noise. What you have to say is life and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, Father, just move as only you can move. I thank you that you are faithful even when I'm not. You are good even when I'm not. And you're, well, you never fail. And I thank you. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to jot this down. Here's a prayer fact for you. Prayer fact for you. Jot this down. Prayer doesn't inform God. Your prayers are not giving God instruction. Now, some of us pray like that, don't we? We kind of want to say, now, God, you come down here, get front and center. I got stuff I need to tell you. Here's things you need to do. I prayed those kind of prayers. You know, what I've done a lot is I've, I've said these things. Lord, you are sovereign, and you're able to do exceedingly abundantly more of our, over, over what I ask or think. But let me give you a few suggestions. Am I the only one that's... Okay, I'll preach on lying next week, yeah. <laughs> we we kind of get to that place that we really want to help God with answers. What prayer does, prayer adjusts you to God. Prayer makes me aware. Prayer makes me aware. Makes me aware of God. Makes me aware of his sovereignty. Now, I want to give you something else. I want you to write this down. It's not in my notes, but it's in my head, and I'm going to give it to you. If God doesn't move, it doesn't matter. I tell pastors that. The pastors I work with all over the country, I say, you know what? If the Holy Spirit of God does not move, it doesn't matter what you do. You can have the best strategy, the best plan, the coolest light show, the best band, the best choir, the best orchestra, whatever you have. But if God's not in it, it doesn't matter. Because God is into life change, not into light shows, just so you know. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture out of the book of 1 Samuel. I, I love the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. In fact, after we finish Crazy Love, we're going to enter into, get this, a 14-week series through the summer on King David and his mighty man called The Pursuit. Now, this is testosterone-loaded, giddy-up sermons. Okay, it's going to be something you guys are going to like and your girls are going to like it better. It's going to really motivate us to see we can live, really live all for Jesus. But here in 1 Samuel is kind of a kickoff to that, a prelude to that. And we're going to see this woman named Hannah who was really desperate for God. Now, she was married to a guy named Elkanah, and he was a Levite. Now, thinking of, of Israel history and protocol, the Levites were the priestly clan. They were where all the priests came from, that certain tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel. The uh, Levites, Moses and Aaron, were Levites. Aaron was the first high priest. Uh, Moses, of course, the great prophet of God. The, the most humble man in all the earth was Moses. He actually wrote that about himself. <laughs> that gives me hope right there, okay? But Moses and Aaron were Levites. Now, get this. This is a little caveat. As I was driving down Purgatory Road, I thought about this this morning, just kind of thinking about Jesus and driving. I know it sounds real spiritual. Other people usually think about Jesus when I'm driving, but I was driving... And I was thinking about Jesus, and I thought, you know, Jesus was a descendant of King David from the tribe of Judah, his daddy. But his mama was a descendant of the Levites, the priest. 
You see, the Levites didn't live in a particular geographical region like the other tribes did. They lived, they kind of lived scattered. Her family was a descendant of the Levites. How do I know that? Because her uncle, John the Baptist's daddy, was a priest. So Jesus came from priest and kings. The prophet, priest, and king, King Jesus. And I love the detail of God. Because not only did he give us King Jesus, he gave us priest Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says, we have such a great high priest who knows what we've been through. There's nobody that can minister to you like someone who's been before you where you are. Wouldn't you agree? So just a little caveat. Now, Elkanah had two wives, and that's called, theologically, that's called stupid. <laughs> that was too, too many. And, and, and you, if you look at polygamy in Scripture, you will always find, well, I've heard people say, well, you know, the Bible says you can have more than one wife, and it always goes badly. And the Bible doesn't say you can have more than one wife. It just says they had more than one wife, and they said it's dumb. And that's why the Bible clearly talks about in the New Testament about being monogamous, one man, one woman for, for life. Because anything else, I'll tell you something, y'all, when you live outside of God's way, it's not good. It may look good for a little while, but it ain't good for a long while. And so this is where Elkanah and Hannah Find herself in. Now they had gone to, gone to the to the tabernacle, that's the dwelling place of God at Shiloh, and they'd gone there for the festival, for the feast, which they did every year. <clears throat> and and uh, Elkanah's uh, El, Elkanah's two wives, uh, the uh, one wife was harassing Hannah because she was barren; she did not have children, and this other woman had children, and she was taunting her. Now the Bible says, now get this: this is why you should never have two wives, because Elkanah loved Hannah more than he did the other woman. Now, girls, can girls get catty over stuff like that? Can there be, you think there was some girl drama at Elkanah's tent? And it was his own stupid fault. So this is the setup. So let me read for you, and, uh, and I want to give you this thought. We are more inclined to pray when we are crazy desperate. Wouldn't you agree with that? We are more inclined to pray when we're crazy desperate. Once after a sacrificial meal at Silo, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance to the tabernacle. Hannah was deep in anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours his entire lifetime. And as a sign, he will be dedicated to the Lord, and his hair will never be cut. She was giving him the vow of a Nazarite, the Nazarite vow, which is different from a Nazarene. And you can, you can ask Dan about all that theologically. He'll be glad to explain it to you later. You're, you're welcome, Dan. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she'd been drinking. Imagine that. You must have come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. No, oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. I'm very discouraged. I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. Now, Eli 
wasn't exactly the best pastor in the world. But in this one particular case, he got it right. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked for him. Now, that word, may the God of peace, may the God of Israel grant your request, that word from the priest, the high priest, was a soothing balm to this desperate woman. Now, was there a metaphysical power in Eli's pronouncement? No. But y'all, encouragement to one another is medicine to a desperate soul. Encouragement is medicine to a desperate soul. She went back again and began to eat again, and get this, she was no longer sad because she believed that God was answering. That's 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 18. You see, desperation has two paths, and you get to choose which path you're on. And when you're desperate, you start praying, and you can be desperate, but desperation that leads to dependence will lead to God's deliverance. Let me say that again. Desperation that leads to dependence upon God will lead to deliverance from God. Now, we live in an instant gratifying society, don't we? We want to pray now, and we want God to answer when. Yeah, giddy up. Got my request in, what's taking you so long? So this is something I remembered. God does not wear a watch. He does not have a calendar. Time means nothing to him. He told Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation. 25 years later, his wife gets pregnant. She's 90 years old. Very obvious, Abraham had given up all the promises of God because he slept with his wife's servant. And uh, that created a whole mess that we're still living with today. Today. So desperation that leads to dependence will lead to God's deliverance. And that is just a biblical fact. The fruit of deliverance is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of deliverance, and, uh, excuse me, of deliverance, that's right, is peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. That my prayer may not be answered in the way I wanted it. Rarely is. But the fruit of me saying, Jesus, I need you, is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Even if my prayer is not answered, I'll take God's peace. There's a movie coming out called The Battle of Dunkirk. And in that, that movie, it shows a great uh, horroric movement by the, the nation of England to rescue their men, uh, the, the United Kingdom rescue their men who were stranded over at Dunkirk on the other side of the channel. What's not told in that movie is that these men sent a message back to England about their desperation. And this is what they said, and if he does not. That's all they said. And if he does not, entire England knew that they were quoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children who were thrown into the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. The entire England knew that God was faithful even if he did not save those men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow down and worship because we worship the Lord God. You could throw us into that fiery furnace and God has the power to save us. And if 
he does not, we will still not worship. <sighs> what? Now the account goes, the historical account goes, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They did not die. They came out of the fiery furnace and they didn't even smell like smoke. Folks, you can't barbecue in the backyard without smelling like smoke. And God delivered them. God made a pathway for them through the sea, a road no one knew was there. And when we're dependent upon God, he will deliver you. He is faithful. God wants you to trust in him. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say to them, just look at him, say it with all sincerity, God wants you to trust him. Wow. But desperation has another path. Desperation can lead to your depravity, which will lead to your destruction or the debauchery of your behavior. In other words, the fruit of, de of destruction, of depravity, is bitterness. When you take things into your own hands and you, or you're desperate and then you're going to lean on your own understanding, you will end up a bitter mess. And you become bitter at God. You become bitter at your brothers and sisters. You become bitter at everyone around you. You really become an ecclesiastical pain in the neck. And most criticism and critical people are rooted in the fact that they've been desperate and it's led to their depravity, which has led to their destruction. So those of us who are spiritual ought to humbly and gently lead these people back, remembering you're not as important as you think you are. And a kind word turns away wrath. And love covers a multitude of sins. And we should be so loving, we're not going to allow anyone to live with a root of bitterness. And we're not going to do the holy shunning, but we're going to lean in and love on people even when they're biting back. And some of you are bitter with God because he has failed to answer your prayers on your timetable. But I want to tell you something. God is faithful. God is faithful. How do I know God is faithful? Because the day they came to take our house away, the moving van pulled out going to Canada. That's how I know God is faithful. And that's just one instance I can tell you of many, many, many times that God has come through. He's a come-through God. Now, I want you to do something. You're going to feel like this is a little weird, but hang with me, okay? I want you to take your left hand, okay? That's this hand, okay? Take your left hand. I want you to, take your, I want you to look at your left hand. I want you to say this to your left hand. I want, come on, everybody, hold out your hand and say this to your left hand. Sometimes I'm not faithful. Now, I want you to hold up your right hand. That's, the, that's this hand. And I want you to look at your right hand. I want you to say this. But God is faithful. Now, why, why do I do the left and the right? Because the right hand of God represented to the people of Israel his rescue, his strength, his power. The ancients believed. In fact, uh, there's a story in the Talmud, that's the religious writings of rabbis, that said this, that a young boy came to his father and said, Father, how is the world held up? He said, oh, the world is floating in a large bowl. They said, oh, that's awesome, but who's holding the bowl? 
They said, well, the angels of God are holding the bolt. He says, okay, but where are the angels standing? Their angels are standing on the everlasting right hand of God. And the Talmud said the boy's question was then answered. Isaiah said that we're sustained by the right hand of God. God is faithful. Sometimes I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. Now, some of you might want to write that on your hand because you need to remember God is faithful. Some of you are facing circumstances and situations, a diagnosis, a rebellion, a heartache, a hurt, a financial collapse, something, and you're just, what is going on? And Mother's Day could be a painful day, and you could say, sometimes I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. God is faithful. Got a friend, some friends of mine in Canada, they couldn't have children, so you know what they did? They became surrogate aunts and uncles to a lot of kids. Either the place of leading into single moms and their children and paying for college. One of the um, guys, uh, little boys that they kind of brought into their home and to their life and they loved them and cared for them, he is the number one beatboxer in the world. Now, if you don't know what a beatboxer is, that's okay. It's not like, you know, a fighting guy. It's one of these guys that makes noises with his mouth, and it's silly. But he's the number one in the world. And I got to meet him, and he went to our church. And it's because this guy, this, this gal who couldn't have children, did not let their circumstances define the limits of their love. They let their God define the limits of their love. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Hannah chose to be dependent. She chose dependence. She knew that God was her source of life. In her misery, she went and found her master, her savior, her God. And she prayed. And she committed her child to God. Now, was she making a deal with God? Have y'all ever made a deal with God? Now, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. You know what God does? He laughs. He goes, yeah, right, whatever. You know, when things get better, you forget your deal, don't you? But Hannah was dead serious. And she was not just making a deal with God. She was calling herself, get this, a handmaiden of the Lord. You know who else called themselves a handmaiden of the Lord? Jesus' mama, Mary. Handmaiden of the Lord. What Hannah said is that my life is to live all for you, God. All for you, God. So whatever comes out of my life, whether it be a child, whether it be a, a, a vocation, whether it be a, a resource, it, it's, all, it's all yours. You see, Hannah chose to live a life surrendered. And even to surrendering her son, and she was in full submission, and she gave her boy back, who was Samuel. And Samuel was the great prophet of Israel the one who anointed King David. And you read about Samuel's life, you go, oh, my gracious, what a man. No, oh, my gracious, what a God. Oh, my gracious, what a mom. Now, her husband, Elkanah, had to be in agreement with Hannah's plan. 
She didn't make her plan in private. She consulted with her husband. And, and, and Elkanah, who knew that having a boy child was a, a prestigious thing, also knew that he had a wife who loved God and a wife who made a vow to God, and he entered into it with her. And when he was, the little boy was old enough, she gave him to Eli to raise. And I will tell you something, Eli was a train wreck. But Samuel was not. Samuel was not. And Samuel was a bigger plan than Hannah had ever dreamed. If you would have told Hannah what God was going to do with Samuel, when she was whispering those prayers to the Lord that day at the tent, she would not have believed it. And God is the God of the exponential. The God of the exponential. You see, God's will is often revealed to us in the hindsight of obedience. It's very rarely revealed to us in the foresight of prognostication. But as we look back, we say, that's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. Mm. And by circumstances, even Eli was drawn into the God solution. I love that. So here's another thought I want to give to you. And this is so important for us as a family. Desperate prayers are best prayed together. You know, oftentimes when we're desperate, we want to keep that silenced into ourselves. And sometimes that we think that when we suffer in silence and we pray in silence, we feel like we're so sanctimonious and, and sanctified. But I want to say this to you. Satan is a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. And lions always eat the isolated one. So you think you're being sanctified when you're being silent and being separated? You're just being supper. Because you're going to get eat up. And that's why God put us into a family. What you hold on to this now? Listen to me. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. That's why we talk about membership, because it matters. You need some people who love God and love you. They speak into your lives. But we have become so sanctimonious and sanctified and isolated that we're afraid to share our transparency and our burdens with one another. And God's word is full of this, saying, go together. Go together. Pray for one another. The fervent, faithful prayer of a righteous man avails must. If you're sick, go to the elders. Pray. Pray for one another. Bury, carry one another's burdens. Love each other deeply from the heart. Meet each other's needs. We're supposed to be a family, y'all. Not just be something we show up to once a week, but it's someone who's shown up in us, and that's the Holy Spirit of God who knits our hearts together. Does that sound good to you? That's five of you. We'll work on you. Yeah. Because that's the intent of God for this church. Uh, Satan loves to isolate you, but I'll say this to you too. Jesus 
is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings we cannot be expressed with words, Romans 8, 26. Isn't that a great passage? He's praying for you. I know that there's times that I'm saying, oh, Jesus, I need you to do this for me. Oh, Jesus. And Jesus is going, you don't need that. Let me fix that prayer. Let me straighten that mess out. And even when I pray not knowing and admit, or when there's times that I don't even know what to say, it was hurting. Jesus said, I got you, Bubba. I got you. Because I love you with an everlasting love, and I will not let you go. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. Death can't. Demons can't. Angels can't. Present can't. The future can't. Nothing will separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. You can't out sin God's love. Wow. God is thinking about me. Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of my, all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Collected all your tears in your bottle. I was in Israel a few years ago, and I asked our Jewish tour guide, I said, what does that mean? He says, oh, in a family, they have a tear bottle. They collect the mourning tears. When people mourn over a dead one, they collect tears in that bottle. They pass it down from generation, generation, generation. I said, so when God says he saved my tears in his bottle, I said, yeah, he has all the tears. Your family has cried, and your family before you has cried, and their family, and their family, and their family. He knows you. He knows you generationally. He knows you, uh, he knows you geographically. He knows you every way he can know you, and he knows your hurts, and he saved all your grieving tears. He knows your sorrows, and he bears them, and he loves you. And Elkanah, this husband with two wives, enters into the praying with Hannah. And I'll say this to you, church. Have I told you lately I love you? So I'm not, now I'm going to say something hard. The first step for this church to be everything God wants it to be, not that you haven't been, is where you realize and pray. And pray. And we're not going to live the way we once lived. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. We're not going to be satisfied with where we are. We want to be satisfied with what God wants us to be. James 5, 16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see, we stand together in prayer. We stand together all for Jesus. And when we're desperate, We choose the path of dependence, and we expect deliverance. We expect him. He's coming. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. He's coming. He's going to rescue us. Yeah, there's been many times in my life when I have been desperate, and I believe that there's more times to come But God, yes, I said it, but God, he is my deliverer. He is my rescue. He is my hope. Not only is he that for me, he's invited me to join him in the rescue of you, of others.
that we might be the hope of the world. Crazy, desperate prayers lead to the deliverance of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us with a love that will not let us go or will not relent, will not even back up. And I pray, oh God, that we will allow you to work in the deep places of our hearts. Father, I know that there's some in this room this morning that are just desperate for you to bring your deliverance. I know they're hurting and they're sad, they're broken. Some have even turned to bitterness. God, I pray that in the marvelous work of your Holy Spirit, peace and joy and hope in the Holy Spirit will just move into their hearts and minds as they trust in you. And Father, even though we look at our left hands and we admit we are not faithful, that you are faithful and we'll depend upon the faithfulness of you, our holy God. And God, I pray that this church will be a bastion of hope and dependence and prayer, that we will be desperate for you, King Jesus, and watch you deliver us. That we might be used by you from the middle of nowhere to shake the edges of eternity. Thank you, Father, for how faithful you are. Folks, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe your first step in declaring your dependence upon God is to trust in Jesus as Savior. Let me help you with that decision. If that's something that God is whispering to your heart this morning, I want I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it believing. Just pray it. Say, Lord Jesus, take my life. Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you for forgiving my sins on the cross and for being raised again from the dead. I believe that and I thank you. Now I'm trusting in you. Jesus, I'm yours. For others of you, you don't need to pray that because you've already trusted in Christ, but you're facing circumstances and situations. Jesus, help me. For some of us, we need to be a community of faith for one another that when one body, somebody's weak, we are strong. And together we live all for you. Jesus, we are yours. We are yours. And we want to live for you, King Jesus. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. I want you to look at me a second. We're going to end today's service just a little different. Normally, we have a, a song of commitment I ask you to sing, and, and we have people that are here to be prayed for. But today, um, Andrea and I want to sing a song to you. And so, mamas, this is for you, but it's more for Jesus than for you. And we want to sing this song. And after, after this song is over, Wyatt's going to come and, and dismiss us, and he'll give you instructions. If you trusted Christ today, we'd love to give you a gift a new believer's packet, kind of help you on your way. Now, listen, we're not going to harass you. We're not going to show up at your house unannounced unless you're cooking barbecue in the backyard. We're going to drop by. <laughs> but we want to love you and we want to help you. And moms, we want to honor you. In fact, we want to honor all women today. But Andre and I want to sing this song as a gift to King Jesus and to you moms. I think you might know this song. It's called The Prayer. Listen as we sing.
to Jesse. 